It feels like the present and the future are being compressed together during the coronavirus event. The present and the future are being compressed together in an accelerating way in our culture. We cannot believe how fast our society shut down, how fast the stock market plummeted and then recovered, how fast we are moving at warp speed to try and get a vaccine or some kind of therapy to help us get out of the situation we're in. It reminds me of the words of Vladimir Lenin. Uh, you remember that Lenin was the former 20th century premier, uh, founder of communism in the, the Soviet Union, the USSR. And uh, Lenin once said this, he said that there are decades of your life where not much happens, but then there are other times where there are decades of change, decades of innovation that happen within the span of weeks in your life. And I think that's a really good description of what is happening right now with the acceleration of the, pre of the present into the future. We're seeing the present in the future, not just in terms of acceleration, but also in terms of disruption. Uh, the travel industry has been disrupted. The workplace has been disrupted. Our education of our children has been disrupted. Uh, healthcare, morphing into telehealthcare, has been disrupted. We're seeing the compression of the present and the future in terms of creating an escapist mindset. Some of us are just want to get to the future faster. Uh, we want to escape this quarantine. We want to escape this, uh, I make plans, but then they get canceled culture. And some of us are just leaping forward to the future much faster than the rest of us, where we're saying, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to social distance. I'm not even going to get a, a, a shot for a vaccine if it comes out. Try and stop me. And when we look at the compression of the present and the future, it's created an environment where people are both terrified and uncertain about what the future holds. We um, are wondering who's going to live and who's gonna die? We're wondering, is the economy going to collapse again? Uh, is this all part of one big master conspiracy plan by the government or some biotech companies to rule the world? And as we look around and we see this sense of the future being pulled into the present, happening at the same time, um, it's moving with such velocity that it reminds us of the words of the futurists Alvin Toffler and, and Douglas Rushkoff that warn us about the times of future shock and present shock that we live in. Future shock is when uh, an inordinate amount of change and speed happens in a short amount of time and it ends up shattering the human soul with stress and disorientation. Present shock is when everything just gets compressed into the now. We experience everything in the now. We uh, do shopping online and it arrives the same day. We wanna know something. We look on Google or Wikipedia and we instantly know it. Uh, we want to be somewhere and we go on social media and we're immediately there. And we look at this time of future shock, of present shock, and there are many people that are responding to this and they just feel overwhelmed. And other people, they say, this is an opportunity to predict what's gonna happen in the near future. Still others of us are talking as if we have the ability to create, to invent or reinvent the future, to capitalize on the chaos that is happening all around us. 
And, and I think that um, whether we look at our economics or the pandemic, whether we look at the, um, the political regime that will be in power this next November or the social unrest, there is a sense that people are interested in the future, in the present. And I wish more people would come to the church because the church is the most future-focused organization on planet Earth. The church is the place that's not so much interested in uh, predicting the near future events or predicting uh, trends in culture in terms of the future or trends in technology. The church is the most future-focused organization in the world because she's focused on the more important things about the future. The truth that God has revealed. Uh, the culmination of human history and where it's headed in the future. Uh, see, the church is the place where we are able to listen to God who has revealed the future to us. And we are then able to act in the present about what God wants done. The church is the place where we don't live from the present to the future. We live from the future back to the present. We know where God is taking things. We know uh, where we're headed in the future in our citizenship in heaven as the church. Um, and we are told how to live in the present. I mean, if you want to succeed in the future, if you want to prosper in the future, if you just want to survive into the future, why not go to the one who controls the future, who has foreordained the future, who directs the future, and that is the Lord. We've been in a series at our church called The Church as Diaspora, and we've been looking at the teachings of the New Testament and how uh, the early apostles uh, taught the church during their own time of disruption and dispersion during the Roman Empire of the first century. And for the rest of the summer, we've been going into the Old Testament now to look at what, how God communicated to God's people uh, during their own time of disruption, dispersion, from the exodus into the wilderness or from um, Jerusalem and, um, and the northern kingdom of Israel into the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities and back. And so today we're going to look at a passage from the prophet Jeremiah on the topic of the present future exiles. And I think that that was a message that was very important to uh, Judah Back in ancient times, this message is very important for us here today in the 21st century. What can we learn about the present future and living as God's exiles in terms of how to honor him and, and what he requires of us here in the present as the one who holds the future together? Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, his name means Jehovah sends. And he ministered primarily at the end of the 7th century, all the way through the middle of the 6th century BC. Uh, he ministered and, uh, as a prophet through the three major Babylonian invasions that took place over 20 years, from the year 605 BC to 586 BC. Uh, at one point towards the end, he actually fled from Jerusalem to Egypt. And uh, the Babylonians then attacked Egypt, and church tradition says that they took Jeremiah back to Babylon eventually. He had a 50-year ministry from right before the beginning of the Babylonian invasion all the way through the middle of the Babylonian captivity, uh, midway through the 70 years that God's people were there. He ministered until he was about 90 years old. 
and he was a contemporary of the prophets Daniel and Ezekiel. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, uh, the man who, um, uh, who, who called Judah to repentance. He was unmarried. As far as we know, he didn't have any converts. Uh, he was ridiculed. He was called a false prophet. He was thrown into a pit as punishment. And Jeremiah's message came in a long line of other prophets, maybe about a half dozen or so other prophets who had ministered and uh, prophetically to uh, first Israel and then Judah over a period of over 170 years. And the prophets that came before Jeremiah and Jeremiah and his contemporaries, uh, they spoke to God's people and they said, you need to turn from your spiritual idolatry of the Baals and the other gods. You need to uh, to uh, treat the poor with greater justice. You're taking advantage of the poor. Your corrupt leaders need to repent. Uh, they would call them to leave their empty religion, uh, their empty religious rituals and defilement of the Sabbath, to uh, turn from their wicked sacrifice of their own children to the God of Molech as they would throw their children's or newborns into the fire as a sacrifice to that God. And God would judge them. In fact, Jeremiah uses uh, striking metaphors throughout his entire letter as God spoke through him. He uses the metaphor to, to describe the wickedness of Judah as a soiled loincloth, as, um, as jars that are filled with wine, that God fills with wine to induce madness in God's people because of their evil. Jeremiah uses the metaphor of a broken flask and he breaks it in front of the leaders to show how God will break Judah because of its wickedness. But he also offers the metaphor of hope, where at one point he says, God will raise up a righteous and just branch. And, uh, and God does ultimately uh, judge Judah as he judged Israel, first through the Assyrian invasion for Israel to the north, and then to, from the Babylonian invasion to Judah in the south. And they go into captivity they are eventually restored, God's people brought back to the promised land. And so Jeremiah writes from Jerusalem to the exiles back in Babylon at the particular point of the passage we're going to look at. And he wants to share with them two things, how to live in the present and to be reminded of the future promise of God. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to take a look at Jeremiah chapter 29 today. We're going to read the entire chapter. I encourage you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's take a look at this. Jeremiah writes this, and the Lord speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconia and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials, and Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and metalworkers, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of uh, Saphan, hard to pronounce names here, and uh, Jemariah, the son of Hil. Kiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the king of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the, to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Verse 15. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David. And concerning all the people who dwell in the city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence. And I will make them like the vile figs and are so that are so rotten they cannot eat, be eaten. I will uh, pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent you to you by the servants, the prophets, but you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who, pro who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah to ba in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire." Because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel, they have committed adultery with all their neighbors' wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows. I am witness, declares the Lord. Verse 24. To Shammai of uh, Nehalam, you shall say, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, who, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priests instead of Jehoiada, the priest, to have charge in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies, to put him in the stocks and neck irons. Now, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who is prophesying to you? For he has sent to us Babylon, saying, Your exile will be long. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah of Nehalam, Because Shemaiah had prophesied to you when I did not send him, and has made you trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalam and his descendants, he shall not have anyone living among his people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord. For he has spoken rebellion 
against the Lord. And uh, the prophet Jeremiah, he speaks on the Lord's behalf. He speaks with the authority of the Lord. And he is encouraging uh, the exiles in Babylon as he writes from Jerusalem to say, stay there, seek the welfare of the city, of the city. be prosperous. And, um, and I, the Lord, he speaks through Jeremiah, says, I will bring you back after 70 years back to this, back to your homeland. But don't listen to the lying prophets who are telling you you're only going to be there for a short time. There will come judgment upon them. And I think as we look at this passage, there's at least three main uh, takeaways, three main uh, insights into how the Lord ministered to the exiles here in Babylon and through the prophet Jeremiah that we can learn here in the 21st century. What do we learn about how God speaks and encourages and uh, is faithful to the exiles in the present future back then and I think for us now as well? Uh, I think there's much we can learn about God. And so let's go to the first uh, present future insight to how God dealt with the exiles. It is that God is the one sending into exile. God is the one, not the pandemic that we're experiencing right now during the coronavirus, coronavirus event. It is God is the one who is sending us into exile. Verse 4, he says, I have sent you into exile. Um, ancient Israel went into exile in the wilderness about 900 years before this time that Jeremiah writes. And when ancient Israel was released from the yoke of Pharaoh, escaped Egypt, all two million or so of them, and they came to the Red Sea, God parted it, they went across, and the Red Sea came crashing down on Pharaoh, on his army, and then they began this wilderness journey uh, up to the Promised Land. It took them about two years to get to the wilderness of Paran. Twelve spies sent out by Moses, came back, 10 of them incited fear in God's people. Caleb and, um, and Joshua came back saying, no, let's go take possession of the land. It's a land filled with milk and honey. And, um, and it was through this journey this, of these early years that the people grumbled. Uh, we want leeks, we want potatoes, we want this wonderful food that we got to eat back in Egypt. We don't just want quail and manna in the desert. We wanna go back to Egypt. God, why have you brought us out here to the desert to die? They grumbled. They were disobedient. They were rebellious against uh, their leaders like Moses. And they wanted to go backwards when God was saying, I want to move you forward. And as a result of that, as you know, um, God banished them to journeying in the wilderness for about 38 more years. And then their children were the ones that got to go in and see it. Not even Moses got to go into the promised land. They wanted to go backward when God wanted them to go forward in their time of exile. And what Israel did is through the Exodus and their wandering through the wilderness up to the cusp of the promised land and their rejection of it is they took a good thing that God was doing, their release through the Exodus and their journey up to the promised land. They took a good thing and managed to turn it into a bad thing through their grumbling through their disobedience, through their lack of courage to go into the land that God had promised. And when you come to Judah now, the ones that uh, Jeremiah is writing to, they were now exiled in Babylon. Now, Judah had heard 
for about 130 years, prophets that God had sent to them, uh, prophets Isaiah, Zephaniah, now Jeremiah, and, and also Habakkuk. And they had sent, heard for about 130 years these prophets coming to them and saying, turn from your empty religion, turn from your sin, turn from your idolatry, turn free from uh, your mistreatment of uh, those in need among you, and return back to the Lord. And sometimes they would, sometimes they wouldn't, and it was just kind of this up and down thing, and God was very patient for uh, well over a century with Judah of warnings. And finally, God executed judgment, and he humbled them, and he fulfilled his prophecy. And now Judah is in captivity in Babylon. And a lot of them wanted out. They were there for a relatively short time, and they immediately wanted to leave and get out of there. In fact, what we know is while uh, God's people were in captivity in Babylon, there were prophets that had risen up to uh, distract God's people. Um, there are warnings before this chapter of prophets that were in Jerusalem saying that uh, before the Babylonian invasion, oh, nothing's going to happen. Uh, don't worry about it. these false prophets. We're saying that back then. Um, in the chapter before chapter 29, in chapter 28, Hananiah was a false prophet who came and said, you know, uh, we're here in, you know, you know, God's people are here in uh, captivity, but uh, God's people will only be here for about two years and then we're going to come back. So don't make a home here. And Hananiah was actually struck down by the Lord. But there were false prophets. And if you look at verse 8 and verse 9, God says there are prophets and diviners. Uh, he specifically says in chapter 29, Ahab and Zedekiah. And they were in a long line of false prophets who deceived people through their dreams. I had a dream from God. He has told me this, and it's a lie. Let me ask you a question. How would our current exile during the coronavirus pandemic, how would your exile to your houses and your homes, your disconnection from other people and society, uh, the new normal of your new life right now, how would it change your view of your situation? How would it change your view of, of grumbling, of wanting just to go back at any cost to our own Egypt? If instead of saying this is the fault of the pandemic, or some other country, or uh, the ineptitude of our leaders, for instead for us to say, you know, for whatever reason that we can't understand right now, God has sent us into exile. That either God allowed the pandemic or even caused it for some reasons, we won't know till we get to heaven. But what if we were to see that God was doing a work through the pandemic, that he was the one who ultimately has us in this season separated as exiles, as sojourners, and as foreigners in the situation that we're in? How would that change how we look at things? Would we be more submissive to the Lord? Would we be more patient with where the Lord has us? Would we be more trusting in what God might want to do if we saw God as the one who has sent the church into exile? And I think for me, that is actually uh, brings me peace because what I, my deepest need is not to get a vaccine. My deepest need is not to go back to the life I had where I got to do what I want to do, when and where and how I want to do it. My deepest need is to know that God is in control and that God has a plan.
and that he is the one who has sent us. And so there's a reason that I don't have to understand, but I can just trust in him. A second insight from this passage about the present future of the exiles is that God says that we are to be fruitful in our homes and we are to seek the welfare of the city during our exile. Verse 5 and verse 6 from Jeremiah chapter 29, God says um, that we are to build houses and gardens where we are at in exile. We are to marry and to multiply. Um, We are to be fruitful at home, first of all. Uh, I, I think we, you know, myself and Lorraine and Darcy Keene and Ethan, my kids, uh, we've really taken this literally. We've planted a garden in our backyard at our home uh, during the pandemic, and uh, we're, we've seen our vegetables sprout up. Um, we, we've eaten some carrots that we've grown, some lettuce that we've grown, some tomatoes that we've grown, um, and it's just been uh, just really nice to have a garden in our home. Lorraine uh, cooks uh, sourdough bread, or she bakes sourdough bread. Um, every couple of days, she, she uh, made a sourdough starter uh, probably about a year and a half or two years ago. And she's kept it alive during t- this time, so we're able to eat our own bread. Um, Darcy, the other day, she made some macaroons for the family. And there's a sense that we're to be prosperous where we're at. Um, and, and that's just kind of a practical example. But one of the couple of things our family has been doing during this time is... Uh, uh, Lorraine has read the autobiography of the great missionary Hudson Taylor, uh, who is an American. Uh, I'm sorry, who was a missionary to China, and uh, he brought the gospel there, and he opened up uh, the doors to that country for many missionaries to come after him. Uh, we have been reading an abridged version of Pilgrim's Pro- uh, Progress by uh, the great Christian John Bunyan. Uh, it's a kind of a, an allegory for the Christian faith and the save and the gospel. Um, and actually, we, we have been reading, uh, we've been watching at night, uh, Little House on the Prairie. And I never thought I would say that on camera. But, uh, you know, I, and I didn't know this at the time, but apparently uh, there's this big, this big resurgence of interest in watching Little House on the Prairie because people are staying at home. And, and that kind of makes sense if you think about it. Uh, the Ingalls family was... Uh, where are they? Minnesota or so on the prairie. They have a small town, Walnut Grove. And uh, they're, they're kind of in their own quarantine situation. They're kind of isolated out, out there in the country. And so uh, the real focus is on their family life and how they get by. And some of the simple challenges are really complex back then. We've seen them simple now. And how they face that. And one of the things that I've um, taken away, I've probably, you know, almost every night we watch an episode together. And we've been doing this for maybe about two weeks. Is... Um, is how uh, Charles Ingalls, who was an elder at his church in Walnut Grove, uh, he was a Christian, how um, they pray together as a family, and also how he treats his wife Caroline. And I know it's just a TV show, but I really feel God has kind of um, exemplified something for me in that how understanding Charles is to his wife Caroline, how patient he is. And uh, that's just been a really good example. I love, love my wife, Lorraine. Uh, but sometimes it's just good to see that, you know, that example, uh, even through Little House on the Prairie, and to encourage you uh, and to encourage me to be a better man of God and husband and father um, towards, towards my family. Uh, another way that we try and be fruitful in our home during this time is uh, if I return back to writing the book that I'm writing, I'm writing a book. Um, on the church in post-Christian culture. 
and I'm trying to finish up the first draft right now. So um, that's just one way I'm trying to be fruitful at home as well on a personal level. But in verse 7, God says, not only are we to uh, be fruitful at home in verse 5 and 6, but in verse 7, he says, seek the welfare of the city. Pray for it. It's welfare. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. And so another thing that God tells us is not just to be fruitful at home, but to seek the welfare of the city in which we live in during the exile. And uh, I, I think there's a popular notion in our culture right now that seeking the welfare of the city is to be involved in Black Lives Matter to, or, or to patronize local businesses. And, um, and I just want to say this one thing, is that we don't have a lot of record in the scriptures about what seeking the welfare looked like in Babylon. Yes, there is this command in Jeremiah, but what we do have is examples of people that God himself held up in the Old Testament. And they, what did seeking the welfare of the city look like to uh, these people that are held up in Scripture during the Babylonian captivity? And so what you discover when you look at the life of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as, and, as well as Esther, who ministered in Persia after uh, it fell, uh, Babylon fell to, to Persia. What you discover is two things of these people that God himself holds up in the, in the Old Testament during their time of exile. Number one, each one of these people stood for the truth and they spoke the truth in God's name. Number two, each one of these people had to take a courageous stand against evil, to live lives that were set apart from the evil of the world in which they were around um, while they were in exile. We are to be fruitful at home. We are not to be idle. And we are to seek the welfare of the city around us through speaking the truth of who God is and being apart from the evil of the city. Um, our church has started going on prayer walks here in downtown LA, the little Tokyo area, Artist District. And uh, we've been praying that um, the Lord would protect these businesses, protect the people who run these businesses from the coronavirus, would bless their business, and ultimately would turn the people's hearts to God. And if there are, um, there's overt evil that's coming from some of these businesses, we're praying that God would stop that and turn that into something good as only he can. And that's our way of seeking the welfare of the city. As well as, you know, there, there was a, uh, a, an example this past week or two of a very large church in the Los Angeles area who defied the orders of, of uh, the governor of California. This is big news. It was on television and everything to say um, that Christians are not to gather together in large groups and we are not to be singing. And this church came out with a long statement saying how the government had overstepped its bounds. Biblically, the church is going to gather. We worship God, not Caesar. Um, and when the government oversteps its bounds to say that you can't worship, that's when we do. And so this large church gathered together. There's pictures all over the internet. Um, thousands of people sitting next to each other, singing without masks. And I want to say two things about that. Uh, number one is, uh, here's where I disagree, but here's where I agree. 
I don't necessarily think, even though I like this church and I like the pastor, I don't necessarily think that was the right call in terms of the safety of the people. When you see thousands of people sitting next to each other singing with no masks, um, there's, in my view, a real threat of the coronavirus spreading. And that has to be taken account. And I'm sure they did. They came to their own decision. And, um, but if it was my church, uh, we would not do that because of those health reasons. However, this is where I do agree. I do agree that the government does not have the right to tell the church not to worship or to sing um, in terms of spiritual authority. And so in that sense, I do agree with their decision. So I'm kind of, um, of, of two minds on this one. But I also understand different churches uh, make their own decision. I'm sure they prayed about it. They discussed it as elders. Um, for our church, that's where we stand. And finally for today, a third thing we can learn about the present future exiles um, and, and what God does through that is that we learn that God is faithful and we are faithful, but sometimes we are not faithful. Whether we are faithful or not, God is faithful. In verse 10, uh, it says that after seven years are completed, God says, in Babylon, verse 28, skip on down, he says, your exile will be long. And, and they had, uh, God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah even before chapter 29 that they would be there for 70 years. Sometimes you have to stay somewhere longer than you think you'll be there. And you being there is sometimes a result of your own doing. If you're in exile or you're in the wilderness, so there are times when we can honestly look back and say, I'm here because of my own doing. I'm reaping what I'm sowing. God gave me plenty of warnings through my conscience, through the scriptures, through the body of Christ, uh, through maybe some circumstances, and I ignored it for a long time. God was patient. He was long-suffering with me. And now I'm in the exile, and I may be suffering, but part of that is my own doing. Sometimes you're staying longer than you thought, not because of your own doing necessarily, but it's the, the, uh, the decisions of others who have been, the consequences have been thrust upon you. And sometimes this is just what God does. God has his reasons, and he chooses to send his people into exile. And God's decisions are always just, always righteous. If you could ask God... Uh, what the future would look like for you. What would you ask God? What would be the most important thing you'd want to know about your future? I mean, would you ask God and say, God, if I could just ask one thing about my future, it would be, who am I going to marry if you're not married? I mean, that's a big one. We, a lot of us would want to know that if we're single. Some of us might ask the question, God, what will my career be? What's the best career for me to be in? And that, that makes sense because we spend a lot of our time in the workplace. And so you want to be in a place where uh, the Lord will bless that work and you're walking in the will of God. Uh, you might ask, God, um, who, who should my friends be? And maybe you're around some friends and they're kind of friends. Some of them are frenemies and you're not quite sure. Uh, but you, you, your friends are really important to you and you want to know that. Maybe you'd want to ask where you, where you should live ideally. Um, there's a number of questions that you could ask God. Or maybe you might ask, God, 
when am I going to die? But you want to know what the most important thing to know from God about our future is? The most important thing we need to know from God about the future is that God will be faithful to us. God will express his faithfulness, not just in the past, in sending us the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, to make a way to have peace with him and rescue us from his judgment in eternity. God is faithful to us in the present and that he has directed us into exile and as, where the Lord leads, he will provide, he will give you peace, he will give you the joy to persevere underneath the trial as the Apostle James says, and the Lord will be faithful in the future. In verse 11 through 14a, the first part of verse 14, God goes on to say, um, I have plans for your welfare, not evil, but to give you a future and a hope. Call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you, God says. Seek and you will find me if you seek me with all of your, all of your heart and I will be found by you. Um, I have a friend that I was talking to this week. Um, he's a good friend of mine. We haven't talked for a while. And um, he said, I didn't know he was going through this, but he was going through a very difficult time. And uh, he said that he had gone through a depression during the coronavirus event. He went to go see a doctor. And uh, he used the words, I feel like I'm in jail. I feel like this is never ending. And uh, he went through just a, uh, his own kind of dark place during this time. And I have, um, I have a feeling that my friend, his experience during the coronavirus event, He's not alone. That you, many of you, have gone through this, this uh, time of exile where you're struggling spiritually. You know, maybe you felt distant from God. Some of you, you're going through this dark time of the relationships that you have in your own home with whoever you live with. There's been conflict, there's been strife because you're around each other so much. Or maybe it was a negative situation that you, you kind of always had and now it's just been... Um, elevated because you're around each other so much. Maybe you're going through a dark time because of your finances and uh, you've been laid off or your hours have been cut back. Maybe you're going through a dark time. I know someone who died of the coronavirus a few weeks ago. Maybe some of you have gotten sick yourself or you know other people have gotten sick or even worse from this time. Maybe it's overall a dark time because you're just cut off uh, from the people you want to be around and uh, you, you're mourning the loss of your freedoms and the life that has been taken from you um, during your time of exile. And what you need to know this morning is the same thing that God said to the exiles. That God's plans for you, church, are not for evil. His plans for you are for goodness, for your welfare in the end. And seek him. And you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. Do you believe that? You cannot go through this time of exile, disconnected from the body of Christ, disconnected from the normal, healthy activity of your former life, and struggling spiritually, struggling in your relationships. Um, Zoom does not count as a permanent substitution uh, for spiritual health. You cannot go through this time without trusting in the Lord, without seeking him out. 
Because you know what? You're going to struggle. Many of you. It's inevitable. And we're going to have times where we feel spiritually dry. We're going to have times where um, we just feel distant from all of the wonderful blessings that God had given to us and the truths that he had given to us. And church, we need to turn to the Lord. We need to seek him out and say, Lord, I give you, I confess to you um, all of these evil things in my heart. Will you cleanse me? Will you forgive me? Lord, I lack the faith. Will you increase my faith? Lord, uh, will you, uh, in the words of Peter, will you multiply your grace? Will you multiply your peace or your mercy upon me? Lord, uh, may I trust in you. And so uh, we need to seek him out in prayer and uh, the Lord is saying to you that he will be faithful to you. God was faithful. He preserved Judah while they were uh, in Babylon for 70 years. And at the end of that time, as you know, um, as we read in uh, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah especially. And I think what's interesting that we don't remember is that while there was about 50,000 plus beasts and animals beyond that, that left Babylon, uh, maybe a little bit more uh, during those three uh, returns, while there was many people that came back, there were actually a significant amount of God's people who stayed. And they stayed um, in what was now under the control of Persia. They chose not to go back. And they chose because they had been so um, enculturated with Babylonian culture, the food. They had certainly built homes and married and had children. They didn't want to go back to the place that God had promised to them. They would rather have stayed in Babylon and Persia. And uh, I think this reminds us that God is faithful and he brought his people back after 70 years. But sometimes we are not faithful and we want to stay in exile because it has become easier to live in the ways of the world than to return back to where God wants us to be when the time comes to for us during the pandemic uh, to return back to church after the pandemic is over, to return back to the scriptures, to return back to serving the Lord and his people, even during this time, and uh, to return back to uh, just the life of the church. We'd rather stay as exiles in the world because we're so used to it, because we've been in exile for what seems like a long time, five or six months. And so whether we're faithful to return back to where God wants us to be, or whether we are not faithful and we choose not to return back, um, know that God is faithful to his people. We want to be the type of church that returns faithfully, that uses this time to be fruitful, that uses this time to seek the welfare of the city, that seeks the Lord out, and that we are not idle during this time, that we are not staying in our exile any longer than we have to, that we are participating in the life of God's people. Um, and that is really a testament to God's faithfulness. We want to come away from this time 
trusting in the Lord. I know some of you are struggling. I know some of you have been felt disconnected. Some of you are thriving during this time. Wherever you're at on that continuum, know that the Lord will be faithful to you. You can trust him. Seek him out. And he will be found. God bless you guys.